Now you should listen to this because this concerns you. This is about an uh, evil genius in love. Evil genius mind. It woke me up from my sleep and I don't like it. No, you're an evil genius is what you are. If this works, you're, you're some kind of a, a evil genius. Honest to God. Hello and welcome to the Evil Genius Chronicles. I am your little podcast buddy, Dave Slusher. Welcome to this show. show is being recorded for July 14th, 2023. Life isn't terrible. Hey, how about that? But first, the business. The show is not kid safe, not work safe, not safe. You should run. Duck and cover right now. Creative Commons licensed non-commercial attribution 4.0 unported the music is by the late great band the gentle readers occasionally like every decade they'll come together and play another show but the gentle readers uh is the band thank you gentlereaders.com the bandwidth is provided via cashfly under the kind umbrella of backbeat media again i'm using a word i understand <laughs> i do not speak from my day job you can google it you can find it i'm out there but they are not uh endorsing this and I'm not on brand for them. We're uh, It's the weekend, man. <laughs> We've gone our separate ways. We'll meet back again Monday. Okay? Are we capiche? Let us begin with a song. Unlike uh, many of my songs lately, which come from the Irish and Celtic Music Podcast, this one comes from Jim Mahfood, like cartoonist and artist Jim Mahfood, does slash did a podcast. I think it's been about a year since there's an episode. We may have pod faded. But he has a show called Skull Funk Radio, and it's just a mix of his stuff. Uh, a lot of hip-hop, but also punk and funk and like 70s soul. And so I like it. I'll touch on this now, talk about it later. But when I float in our stupid pool, uh, I like to listen to this show. And so uh, this is now one of the places where I'm learning about music. And when I say I'm learning about music, this is a song I'm about to play you is from 2005. So it's Almost a 20-year-old song. <laughs> Never heard it before. This is Dr. Israel from an album called In a City Pressure. And this is called The Doctor versus the Wizard. And this is like the sound of this is like the sound of the inside of my head right now.
That was Dr. Israel from the album Inner City Pressure with The Doctor versus The Wizard. And what I like about that song, I heard it uh, yesterday on Skullfunk Radio, like a three-year-old episode of Skullfunk Radio. And it sounds like so many things at once. It's, it sounds like it's got a funk rock drum. It sounds kind of hip-hop, kind of reggae dub, kind of rock. It doesn't sound unlike Ozzy Osbourne. Like it sounds a little bit like Iron Man from Black Sabbath, really. And it's all of these things at once. It's kind of uh, amazing. So there you go. That's that song is really uh, speaking to me today. So let us get into it. A lot of times when I get on here, turn on the mic and I talk. Uh, so frequently, uh, even I believe the very last show I addressed it is I feel like a downer. I feel like all the topics are negative. Like. Stuff I hate. And in fact, I had to leaven it with something I liked before I talked about some stuff that was bugging me. I'm depressed. I'm uh, disorganized. Like all, you know, so much of that. You know what I'm going to talk about? I'm going to talk about how much fun this summer is and like how much I'm enjoying life. This is, uh, it has turned out to just be a good summer. Uh, I'm recording this, you know, the week after the 4th of July. 4th of July was just great. Like the day itself, it was a Tuesday, which is an awkward day. And a, a plethora of my coworkers either took off the Monday and made it, you know, like a four day weekend that direction, or they took off like the whole week, you know, and just made it a, you know, nine day weekend, uh, or took off from the 4th of July after, you know, like they probably half of my <laughs> coworkers augmented the vacation somehow. And I kind of didn't because I didn't really, we've done stuff. We had a couple different trips and uh, it didn't have any specific thing. All I would have done was just chilled around the house. So what I did was just, you know, showed up at work, but the day itself, um, we had, um, I had taken the kid, you know, we're in a permissive firework state here in South Carolina. So there are freestanding, year-round fireworks stores. You know, I grew up in Kansas where we had five days of fireworks, July 1 to July 5. And we had pop-up stands, you know, in a gas station parking lot on the corner of the highway. And you could, I don't know what it is now, but this is how it was in, you know, 1981. And, you know, you could buy fireworks for a couple days and then you could not, you could fire them on July 5th and then not until next year. Three, 360 days and no fireworks, or at least no fireworks without, uh, you know, the sheriff getting called. Oh, by the way, this implies that July 5th, like noon on July 5th, uh, take all the money you can scrounge and buy clearance fireworks because they want to get rid of that and not store them all year. So we went to Phantom Fireworks with a clever use of a coupon. They We ended up getting – the budget was $75. It was actually 50 but some incentive behavior up to, to $75. Well, the, the kid had a – coupon that got you this like $150 variety pack for $65. So straight off the bat, we've got this giant box, giant mixed box. One of the, you know, the thing I'm talking about, it's like a giant box and it's got, you know, a couple low level things, sparklers, and it's got some packs of firecrackers and jumping jacks. It's got some giant rockets, <laughs> some giant things. And then we augmented with a, a, a couple other things. And then we, for some reason, we had these um, 100 shot batteries from previous years. We just didn't fire. I don't even know. I don't even remember buying them, but we had them. Gathered all this stuff up. We had uh, a steak dinner. We grilled steak, uh, prime rib, uh, and just kind of kicked it and had a 
good day, had a steak dinner, and then when the sun went down, we sat in our front yard and we just shot fireworks for an hour and a half. And when it was done, we just had so much fun and just chilling and relaxing and just shooting off fireworks, trying very hard. Uh, you know, we have where we live, you know, out in the country, we've got a big yard. We have not two acres, but more than an acre and a half. Problem is that we're basically in a, a like a U shape of like heavy stands of trees. So we don't want the fireworks going in the trees. It gives us really only one spot in the yard, like at the very front, kind of in the very center front of the U is, you know, uh, is the place we have to do it, which also puts us closest <laughs> to the neighbors. And we had at least had. These things are say on the side bottle rockets, but they're way bigger than the bottle. I'm like the bottle rockets of my youth were basically a firecracker on a stick that would go up in the air and explode. And these things say bottle rockets, but they're I don't know five times the size, and they you know they blow up and they shoot out things, and they're way more uh, intense. Well, at least one of those things went in the neighbor's yard, and I, we watched it. Um, and I had my launching pad for stuff that went up in the air. My goal was to go directly straight up so that it had the uh, as little chance of drifting anywhere. And I got a, a milk jug and filled it with like um, uh, sand, the sand that you would put in like a sandbox, like a little kid's sandbox. And then that was actually a perfect launching pad and you could kind of adjust. And I did not have that one directly straight up and down and it went I went over their trees and into their yard. So I had to fish that one out of their, their yard. But it was just a good day. It was just a great douchebaggy, redneck douchebaggy summer day, 4th of July. Um, at one point, there was uh, some neighbors. Uh, by the way, uh, we have something like 15 neighbors in this like mile, almost a mile loop around our uh, neighborhood. 15 houses. I know the names of like four or five of them. Mostly these are people that I see them, I recognize them, and I wave. Uh, distant politeness. That is the way to go. And one of these families was driving around. It was like right at, uh, you know, like 10 minutes after sunset. And we were firing one of those batteries. And, uh, you know, they were smart. They realized we don't want to drive our golf cart right under when they're shooting this thing off. And there was a lot of them. So we shoot this thing, and it has a hundred little shells. Of various times. It's basically like a firework show, a mini firework show in a box. It's like a two minute firework show that's like a scaled down version of what you'd see at a ballpark, you know? And so they stopped at the corner, uh, far enough away from projectiles, and we're firing it off, and they're watching it, and we're watching it. And then when the uh, when the thing ended, this uh, golf cart full of neighbors uh, applauded. It was just so much fun. It's just silly, and uh, we just had a great time. But there's not that's not the only great thing. We have this pool. It's an above ground inflatable pool and that makes it sound like a kiddie pool. And you know, over the years, we've had various kiddie pools. Um, you know, starting with, you know, like a little three foot ring that the tiny baby sat in and then it just got bigger and bigger. And some of them had slides and some of them had, you know, things that sprayed water and got more intense. And honestly, we, I think we still have all those things we have. We moved a year and a half ago and we had a backyard box and that backyard box went from our old backyard to this backyard. And during the course of the move, we zip tied it shut so that it wouldn't, you know, open and spill the shit out. I think still zip tied. <laughs> We've never opened that fucking thing since we've been here. It's full of old kiddie pools. 
at this point, they're probably so, they're just unreclaimably gross. But the one that we have is not like that. It is 15 feet in diameter. And so you blow up the ring and then you fill it with water and the ring kind of floats up. And so it's like, like I say, 15 feet diameter and like four feet tall when it's done. And it's got 5,000 gallons. Like three people can get in that pool and it's fine. So, uh, you know, as opposed to kind of like the um, semi-permanent uh, above ground pools, uh, you know, with the hard sides and, you know, sometimes they have like little platforms and decks and stuff like that. This thing costs like, I don't know, maybe 200 bucks or 300 bucks. And this is our second year on it. We kind of uh, had resigned ourselves to the fact that it may not even, we might get one year out of it and have to chunk the fucking thing. Um, it was a pain in the ass to put up, but when we pulled it out this year, it was fine. We had sprinkled cornstarch in there to keep it from getting moldy over the winter and fired it back up and it was fine. And in fact, I'm enjoying it so much more this year than I did last year. I've been in this thing like three or four days a week since we filled it up. And I probably went in the uh, the pool like four days, five days all summer last year. And so just like last night, it was uh, uh, we have a little vacuum thing. You put a hose on and it puts pressure through it and it makes it basically sucks into a little string bag. So that's what you use to kind of get the stuff, the the floaty, the leaves and bugs and stuff out of it. And to kind of get the thing adequately, you have to kind of get inside the pool. So it becomes part of my routine is, you know, it rained and there was a bunch of detritus in there. So I got in the pool. It was like right at sunset. And I got in the pool and I'm vacuuming up the leaves and the bugs and whatever. And then I just... Uh, turn the thing off and then just float in the pool. I'm already wet. I'm already in a swimsuit and I'm already wet. So why not just float in the pool? I just sat there listening to Skull Funk Radio, just like looking at the trees, looking at the sky. I just floated for like half an hour. And it was just, and um, it had rained maybe two hours earlier. So it had been hot as balls all day and then it rained and then it had cooled off. So at the point where I got in, the water was maybe like five degrees warmer than the air. The air is like 75 or 80 degrees. And the water is like 85. And, uh, oh, it was just nice. <laughs> and I just got in that. And I thought, man, this is living. This is just living. I just am enjoying this moment so much. And, uh, you know, this is why. And I, and I realize... Um, this may be um, having so uh, internalized and, you know, I'm an American and Americans do this uh, to a fault. So internalized like um, capitalist values that you got to do something, got to produce something. Gotta, you know, you can't just sit around idle hands of the devil's play. You got to do something. Just fucking floating in this pool. It's like, why are not I doing mo- way more of this? Like, why don't I do this for an hour every day of my life? <laughs> you know, an hour, weather permitting. Uh, for the part of the year where we have this thing up. Why don't I just float in this thing for like an hour every day? Uh, this might make me uh, a happier, better, better person um, from there. And so, and also, you know, Heroes Con, um, you know, we went and did that. We went and had a staycation at the beach um, where we just spent a long weekend, not even at the beach. We were like a mile and a half or two miles from the beach, but like a condo on a, like a VRBO rental condo on a golf course in Polly's Island, kind of close-ish to the beach, not even on the beach. We just hung out. We ate at different restaurants and just, you know, went to the pool at that thing and 
you know, went to the beach one day and went to get shells and just, just, you know, went to a, like a barcade kind of place. Uh, uh, you know, had a bunch of pinball machines and old video games, surprisingly good food. So we went, ate dinner there and just got a shitload of quarters and played stuff, which is, uh, you know, it wasn't specifically with that thing. It was probably almost exactly the same distance from the rental condo as it was from uh, our house. So we could go to that thing anytime, but we just did it as part of the thing. And we just, the summer's been like that. I will be honest. Uh, I think I probably have mentioned this before is that uh, we had, the kid had decided we're not playing all-star softball, even if invited to the team. We weren't invited to the team this year. And as much as I enjoyed being on that team and I enjoyed the other families, uh, not being on that team sure changes the tenor of the summer. Because otherwise, when, when you're on that team, it's the first three or four weeks of June, you know, of the summer, like school's out and the weekend after school's out, there's a tournament. And then the next weekend is the district playoffs. And then, you know, two weeks after that is uh, the state tournament. It's like, Jesus. And it, it really just, and so there's always something. There's practices, there's games, there's travel. Uh, you know, it just eats, like three of the first four weekends of summer are devoted to this thing and typically involve being out in a very hot <laughs> ball field somewhere in the state of South Carolina. And so subtracting that really has chilled out the summer. So uh, it is a and it is a bummer that we didn't get to say no thank you <laughs> to the team. We didn't get the invitation and get to say no thank you because a thing you weren't going to do, you wanted to decline the invitation <laughs> rather than just not get invited. That's the situation. But there you go. Um, I will mention a, a little bit uh, at HeroesCon. Something happened uh, that has sort of changed a little bit how I'm approaching these conventions. And this used to never be a thing. Like, you know, when I first started, the very first convention I ever went to was 1984, the Atlanta Fantasy Fair. And I've told this story, I'm sure, on here many times. My, like, it was my birthday uh, over that weekend. And um, my dad, instead of popping for a hotel, we drove from Augusta, Georgia to Atlanta, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. <laughs> and in retrospect, maybe we just did it Saturday and Sunday. But we did it at least two, and I really think we went all three days of this convention. And we drove the two, two and a half hours from Augusta to Atlanta in the morning, and we drove the two and a half hours after the con. And it was like, Dad, could we not have gotten a fucking days in in downtown Atlanta, for Christ's sake? The, the days in was just a very short walk from this thing. Like, come on now. But that's, <laughs> that was my, that was very much, that was very typical uh, of my dad. So, but at the time, like no one, literally no one charged for autographs. They would charge for sketches, but no one would charge for an autograph. And over the years, that has ramped up. And, you know, sometimes some of the bigger people would charge for autographs. Um, a couple of years ago, the same year when I went with Derek Coward, um, John Tottleman was there. And we got some of our, we got like Miracle Man and some Swamp Thing signed. And he had this policy, which I think is perfect, which is, I don't remember the exact dollar amount. It was could have been $2. It could have been $5. But it was two autographs free. And after that, any more than that is X amount, let's say $2 or $5, uh, donation in his little tip jar to the Heroes Initiative. And the Heroes Initiative is a fund that pays for uh, medical problems for aging um, comic book creators because there is no pension <laughs> and typically uh you don't that make that much money and there's not much retirement and 
it is extremely common that old creators uh, are host. And Heroes Initiative uh, helps people out who are host. And so, uh, like, honestly, I think that is such a, like, one of the worst things about comic book conventions is the person who pulls up with a cart full of, you know, a long box of something or a cart full of something and wants to get, you know, 50 autographs. Um, and to me, that makes perfect sense. Some amount free and then some amount paid for uh, after that, whether that goes into your pocket or to the Heroes Initiative and what the dollar amount is and what how many are free. That's all tunable parameters, but that structure makes perfect sense to me. And I think if that were every single person in the entire con, that would make, like, if it was a con-wide policy, that would make perfect sense. However, there's also, like, the bigger names, and typically bigger names, older names, have gotten into the mandatory um, paying. Uh, I'm trying to think what it was. Mike Zek, who uh, is... Probably the most famous thing he did is like the black Spider-Man costume that is, you know, Venom. Um, he did that Secret War series, so uh, you know, a shitload of those get signed, uh, signed, and then uh, you know, slabbed, and you know. And I don't really care about that, but like the last time I saw him, it was like it was either like five or ten dollars for any signature, and you got a certificate of authenticity. And the thing that I was getting signed is there was an old. Um, issue of uh, Masters of Kung Fu from like 1978 that my friend Scott Edelman wrote the script and then Mike Zeck drew the art interior and Paul Galassi did the cover and I had it signed and this is by the way this is a beat up copy <laughs> this is not like this is not mint and this is not slabable this is like a beat up this comic probably got rolled up and put in the back pocket and biked home from a gas station in 1978 um, not me. I'm not the original owner, but somebody did that. It looks like that. So Scott has signed this. Paul Galassi has signed this beat up copy. And I was getting Mike Zek to sign it. And I was pay- I paid the whatever, $5 or $10. And he said, do you want a certificate of authenticity? And I said, I don't really feel like this is a certificate of authenticity transaction. <laughs> so I just said, don't even bother because I don't care. Uh, you know, and th- so then it's gotten um, it's gotten more and more. So that you're like bigger and older and more established pros are going to the kind of the uh, mandatory payment. Like Jim Steranko was there. And how old is Jim Steranko? 80 ish. And let's, you know, we want Steranko's signatures like 10 or 20 bucks for anything. Well, I went to get Michael Golden uh, and I had three, co- three comics to get signed Micronauts number one, the nom number one, and the nom number two. And I plopped them down. And by the way, he was selling piles of comics. And so he, I plopped them down and said, that'll be 80 bucks. I said, oh, I brought these with me. He's like, no, it's 80 for the signatures. 30 for the two number ones and 20 for the nom number two. What I should have done, I said, you know what? I didn't understand that. I'm sorry. No, thank you. And just pulled them back up. Now, I had money in my pocket. You know, I had a budget and I had like, uh, actually, casino winnings from Vegas. So I had so I ended up handing them a $100 bill and getting them signed. And I felt stupid instantly, and I feel stupid now. And I wish I hadn't done it. Because Michael, I like Michael Golden, and I like those comics. Those are not, like, that was not worth $80 to me. I just wish I hadn't done it. <laughs> and it was just um, awkward. Um, but, uh, you know, so, so now, later on, um, Mike Grell was there. Uh, and I had some Mike Grell stuff to get signed. I made the... Uh, I paid attention. I w- looked, and a very small, like, standy sign said, 
uh, what his rates were. And it was something like 15 or $20 a signature. And I said, this beat up copy of Star Slayer. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I got some Mike Grell signatures in 1984 at that very first convention. I know he was there. Um, I, I don't care that much about this. So I may very well be done getting these old uh, creators that uh, you know want paid for signatures. I might, that might have been the last one. Like Michael Golden may have <laughs> put me off it. Um, if they pay for them, and I paid, I think, Ron Garney $10 to sign Berserker number one. <sighs> if Matt Kent and, and Ron Garney hadn't both been right there, I probably wouldn't have done it. <laughs> so... Uh, I just, I don't know. It just feels, I don't feel good when I'm done with the transaction. And I'm kind of, I'm not there to not feel good, right? I just, I feel like I've been taken. So that's probably the last one of those. I'm going to pause right here for a sip. That's fine. I can tell it's 140 degrees. I've moved it up from 135 to 140 of my ion mug. Mm. 140 is a touch hot for me, but when you pour new coffee in there, it makes it uh, warmer, drinkable faster. Now, the coffee is a two-day-old Starbucks Americano. <laughs> Tastes a little bit like uh, duty, but uh, it, boy, it's the temperature. Mwah. All right, friends, I'm going to tell you about something I like, and that is Factor. Uh, I got a box of stuff from Factor, and I'll be honest, I didn't pay that much attention to what I was had signed off on, and I thought I was getting a meal kit, but that's not what I got. I got a meal. I got a box of meals, and... Uh, you look at them and they they look like they're a tray, like your standard TV dinner. They take two minutes to heat up and they are delicious. <laughs> it is so shocking how good these things are. Uh, and, and they were so super fast. It's summer, man. I got a pool. I got a giant inflatable pool to float in. I don't have time to <laughs> chop stuff up. These things are perfect for lunch. They're perfect for dinner on the go. And uh, when I'm, we first got the box, the kid uh, enjoys... Uh, you know, the, all the chopping and stuff, but, and, and said, oh, I like doing all the prep. And then four minutes later, kid was raving about how delicious this sweet potato and peanut sauce was. Even if I didn't eat the thing, I tried to get a bite of it. Everything I have tasted has been delicious. It defies logic how it tastes so good when it comes in a box that looks like uh, a TV dinner. And then it tastes like you're at a restaurant. I, I, I don't know how they do this sorcery. But it's good. You can get we. I got the vegan vegetarian option because it just allows for less negotiation. But you can get a uh, you can get meaty ones. You can get protein plus. You can get low calorie. Whatever your thing is, you can get the thing. So here's what you can do. You can go to factormeals.com/egc50. I'll say that one more time. Factormeals.com/egc50 and use code egc50. And you know how much you're going to get off. 37%. No, 50%, my friend, 50%. <laughs> so EGZ50 is your coupon code. <laughs> and boy, I'm going to tell you, give this thing a try. Uh, you will, it is fast. Like I say, two minutes. As far as I can tell, 100% of the meals are two minutes. Uh, and that's all it takes. They're not frozen. They weren't frozen. They're just cool in this like block of thing. And also there were like six bottles of these little smoothies. And uh, this is a smoothie making family. And uh, out of the bottle, they're great. And yet, uh, I'm told the tech tip is, take the bottle of smoothie, throw it in the blender, throw in like a handful of ice and a handful of spinach. When we make these smoothies, I don't know how long they take. It feels like it takes them 5 to 15 minutes to make a smoothie. You do that, it takes 10 seconds. And uh, it's good stuff. So, factormeals.com slash EGC50. My seal of approval. 
go eat some. <laughs> Is that the slogan? Go eat some. I don't believe that that's approved by their corporate marketing, but that's my slogan. Go eat some. Let me have one more sip. Warm, warm old coffee. Perfect for a warm old man. All right. So I've been talking about, we've had vacations, right? We've been in Charlotte for a couple of days. We've been in Polly's Island for a couple of days. In general, like to me, that's about perfect. There is, um, there is a thing upcoming. Uh, the kid is going to camp and the camp is way on the other side of the state. And uh, so uh, because my wife is starting and she's going back to work. So last year, what we did was we dropped the kid off at camp, stayed in a cabin in the woods near that area. We were also a little bit worried. It was the first week long sleep away camp. We were a little bit worried something would go wrong and we didn't want to be a five hour drive away. So we were, you know, nervous parents <laughs> kind of hovering and helicoptering, you know, th- 30 minutes away instead of five hours away. Well, this year, like work precludes that and it's just not going to happen. So uh, I'm making both ends of this this drive. And uh, so th- we pick up Friday at 10 a.m. on the other side of the state. Well, I just decided I didn't feel like getting up at 3 a.m. <laughs> that morning to haul my ass and and and. There's a lot of problems with that. But I mean, the, the pickup is important because they're going home. They need the kid out. So uh, if I oversleep and I get up at you know 5 a.m., well, now I'm not going to make it in time. So uh, it makes sense to be out there. And so we're looking at options and I'm like looking at, you know, the standard stuff we do, Hampton Inns and Holiday Inns and things like that. I was like... God damn it. I just don't feel like staying. <laughs> I don't feel like staying in a Hampton Inn in Simpsonville, uh, you know, to do this. It's just. And then I started looking around. And I thought, you know, there's a state, there's state parks right by there. And there's a one called uh, Devil's Fork State Park, which is really close to this camp. I think it's like maybe 10 miles from this camp, or 15 miles from this camp. And it's on a lake. And um, these sites, if you look at it, say it's the prettiest state park in our state. Uh, and I've looked at some of the pictures and it's like on this lake and it's great. And it's, it's got uh, tent camping spots right on the lake, like on the shore of the lake. I thought, you know, fuck it. It's like, instead of paying for uh, a hotel night, I'm going to go and I'm going to go the day before. And I'm going to like, is it, we had this stretch of camping. Like we had, a, the, like most kids, uh, we had this thing where we liked camping and we sort of aged out of it. Like the last couple times we've had two day things. And then, uh, you know, cause at Myrtle beach state park, typically it's a two day booking and we stay the first night and then the kid just wants to go home. It's like, fuck, we already paid for the second night. Let's just stay. The camp's already up. <laughs> the tent's up. The camp's up. We're here. Let's just stay. It's like, no, I want to go home. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go and camp by myself, totally <laughs> by myself, uh, on the shore of this lake. By myself with my Kindle or a book or some comics, uh, and just chill. <laughs> and originally, I was going to go kind of late, you know, and get there. I was like, I'm going to leave early so I can spend all day there. <laughs> I can go swimming and, uh, you know, just hang out at this lake and cook myself dinner on the campfire. I like doing this stuff. Well, like when we first took the kid camping and we started, we did this typical stuff, right? Set up the tent in the backyard and sleep in the tent. And little kids love that kind of stuff. And then we went out and stayed at the state park. And I remember my wife said something about how I don't, you don't like camping. Why are you doing this? I'm like, 
I love camping. You don't like camping. That's why we haven't done it in 30 years. But I like camping. I've always liked camping. So, uh, you know, as part of the aspiring country gentleman, I'm going to go sleep on the shores of a lake out in Nowheresville. And I really was tempted. They have – this state park has um, – well, so Myrtle Beach State Park, you park in your camping spot. You know, it, it's low effort, right? You just pull right up, unload your car right where you are, and whatever. This thing, even the the ones I'm looking at, there's a parking lot um, away from the thing. So it's a – you know, it's not far. It's, you know, 30 yards from the parking lot to the thing. So, you know, probably – get the little uh, cart, the, like the the beach cart. So you can carry stuff without making lots of, you know, walking back and forth to the car. Fine. But they also have um, these boat-in only uh, tent camping spots. So they're a little island out in the middle of this lake. And they've got, I don't know, like a dozen campsites out there with the tent pads and everything. And out there is nothing. No electricity, no water, no way to get there, except you have to boat yourself in and on thinking, huh. So then I started down this rabbit hole where I'm like looking at buying used kayaks. And suddenly <laughs> this is way more expensive than going to the Hampton Inn. <laughs> so, but I started thinking like, boy, that would be nice to spend that night out there and just nothing. And then I was like, oh, and I could go to Harbor Freight and get one of those little solar panels so I could charge my phone. I was like, this has suddenly gotten so involved. I'm like, fuck it. Let's just stay at the little, let's not boat in. Even though that there's a, a, an appeal to that. Let's not do the boat in one. At least not this time. If I really, really love this, I might do this again. And just like now, and this came up, oh, I don't know, two or three days ago. This, like the notion just arrived a couple days ago. Now I think about it so much. I keep going back and looking at Devil's Fork. And it's like, oh, it's like um, we're like almost a month away for this to happen. And I'm thinking about it. And I was about to go, you know, thought about going out and checking the tent stuff and, you know, making sure I had the right things in there. I was like, you know, I've got the bin, uh, you know, with this, with all the camp cookery and the, you know, stuff. It's like, oh, I don't really I need to check it yet. <laughs> I've got a couple weeks before we leave. I can wait and check it then. But now I'm just like daydreaming about Devil's Fork State Park. I was like, Jesus. I went from like nothing to everything on this thing. And that's, you know, I, I've said it before. I, I'm just more interested in that than I would rather go and spend a week at the state park, I think, just by myself with books and nothing <laughs> and, and some food and just chilling and sleeping in the tent and just relaxing. I would rather do that than go to Paris and see the Louvre. I, you know, and walk around the Champs Elysees. I'd rather do that. Um, and I, you know, I've talked about, you know, talked on this show about travel, right? Where for a long time I was kind of ambivalent to travel. And then it really um, makes my wife grumpy that she wanted to travel some and, I was always kind of, and we did, I mean, we've traveled, we've been places, but she probably would have done more. And I was just, uh, I don't even care. And then I had this job where I went, you know, to Australia and India and Copenhagen and Sweden. And, uh, and so I got to see all these places, bearing in mind that, you know, work trip, all I ever saw was the insides of conference centers and, uh, you know, Sheraton's. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, that's all I ever saw. Like very little uh, local stuff. Even if I got out and walked around, I mostly couldn't. I mean, it just you know, the, the, there wasn't much to it. And uh, and, and frankly, like when we were in London one time, I stayed and worked on demos because I had work to do. And I, you know, my partner uh, and his wife went to Buckingham Palace, and I didn't because I was staying there working on stuff. And uh, honestly, I didn't really care about seeing Buckingham. I could give a shit about seeing Buckingham palace and that you know it's so common that um like my whole life i've been hearing this stuff you gotta travel you gotta broaden your horizons and you gotta go out and see the world which is you know in itself kind of a classist thing because i will tell you growing up i wouldn't go into <laughs> there were, i wouldn't go into london <laughs> when i was 15 because we didn't have that kind of money we like I, I've told the story of wanting to drum and I didn't want my parents to be on the hook for having to get me a drum kit. Uh, you know, I just didn't, uh, we didn't have that much resource. And so the, the, you know, traveling around the world or backpacking through the Alps when I was, you know, between uh, high school and college, that wasn't, none of that was happening. Later on, when they got a little more uh, money, my parents decided to get, or at least my mom in particular, to England and Scotland like for a month every summer. <laughs> but uh, it's like, thanks, mom. I never got to go. But, uh, you know, the, the there's just a smugness to that, right? Uh, uh, oh, you've got to go travel. It's, you know, so many people. Like, I, I've known the dude who was in his 40s and had never left Atlanta. Like, he was in his late 40s the first time he left Atlanta, <laughs> the city of Atlanta. <laughs> I, I worked with this guy at the ice plant when I was in college, and and this guy said, if Marta doesn't go there, I don't need to be there. <laughs> right? And so at one point, he went on a fishing trip to Florida with the ice plant guys, and that was the first time he had ever even left the Atlanta metro area. And that's, you know, for a... For, I don't know, 30% of the population, that's their life. They're like never go anywhere, like not even out of their city. You know, it's as if it was the Middle Ages and you never, you live your whole life in a 20 mile radius. Um, and so I don't, I mean, it's not like I'm anti, anti, anti uh, international travel, but boy, do I not feel like it's an essential part of a human. <laughs> like, and people that say that are just glossing over the fact that for a lot of people, it's a, it's a huge insurmountable burden to get your ass over to wherever Germany or, you know, Norway or whatever. You know, you, you may save up 10 years to have to be able to do that. If you're, you know, if you're barely scraping by and then when you're done, you have this experience, which is great. And, you got no money and you're flat broke again and you're, uh, you know, two paychecks from homeless. So I just don't know that I, um, I, I don't know that every, anybody ever really addresses the classism, uh, that's inherent in that, uh, mandate that a well-rounded individual needs to have traveled the world. Uh, I, I, I don't know that I agree with that. And here's something, uh, I had encountered this and I honestly don't remember where, but, you know, the, you know, as you kind of dig American life deeper, yeah, I mean, you find uh, there's a, you know, a lot of racism, as we see, there's classism fucking everywhere. <laughs> like, you don't have to dig very, you, you dig down half an inch and you're going to hit <laughs> a, a big wellspring of uh, classism. And here's something, you know, we live in this house because we basically were fleeing the HOA that made us give away our dog. 
long story. I've told it. Got the dog back by buying a different house, not in the HOA. I had never really considered this, that HOAs themselves are uh, like a structure of kind of enforcing racism and classism because all that stuff that they're all about. I mean, to me, it was weird when you're in the HOA and the overriding ethic, the organizing principle about the HOA is house values, right? We don't want anybody to do anything that will make our house value go down five bucks. (laughs) So we're going to be on everybody's ass and up everybody's bunghole about everything, uh, including uh, when their grass gets a centimeter to, you know, above the limit, we're going to write them up and we don't want the trash cans out any more than trash cans can't go out before this time. And they got to be back by this time. And like, Jesus Christ, there's a lot of rules here. And I didn't realize this, that part of the reason for these rules are specifically to set up a barrier because a certain kind of middle, middle and upper middle class person either has, and specifically a retired upper middle class person has the time to do the yard work and keep the yard looking how it is, keep the yard edged and mowed and all the kind of stuff. Or they have the money to pay for somebody to do all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the family with, you know, four kids and the parents are each working three jobs uh, to get by and it's their dream home, but they're, you know, barely, you know, they're, they're maybe, if they're not over their heads, they're, you know, up to their nose <laughs> affording this house. They may not have the time to do all that stuff. And so, like, the HOA structure is to kind of make it hard for those people. It's to discourage people uh, like that from being in the neighborhood, which also means whitening up the neighborhood in general. It doesn't mean excluding, uh, it doesn't mean clamping down, you know, it's not an exclusion. It's just a uh, barrier. It's like an osmotic membrane. It lets some things through easier than others. Everything can get through, but some things are discouraged and some things are encouraged. And that makes perfect sense to me. And, and boy, it's just creepy. (laughs) HOAs are creepy. (laughs) And a couple of the books I've read lately, you know, this gets to, this kind of ties a lot of the stuff together. The, the, the classism, the travel, the work travel, the work, the, the chilling. I've read, what are the jobs I've read? I've read David Graeber's Bullshit Jobs, and then I've read two books by Jenny O'Dell, the um, How to Do Nothing and Saving Time. And Jenny, like the, the, the last, so How to Do Nothing was the first Jenny O'Dell book, and Saving Time is a recently like within the last year perhaps honestly that was i think that was kind of both the longest and the least of these books to me i got the least out of it in some cases it was kind of rehash of the first book but all of them are kind of a critique of um like modern capitalism the way we approach our jobs the way we approach our lives the way uh everything's structured for you to give uh a lot of your time you know, for most of your life to an employer. Um, and then maybe if you're lucky at the end, you get to earn some retirement when you're in your sixties or later. And I, you know, I'm, I don't, I, I'm not down with that structure. Uh, we've seen this, like my previous job, loved the job, uh, loved the people, this job, loved the job, loved the people, but the, the best job in the world it's a job and that, you know, the, the job before this one, 
you know, there was that point in time where it asked so much of me. We were, we had merged two companies and we we're merging the infrastructure of two companies. And anytime that happens, that's just a recipe for nightmarish life. <laughs> and our lives were very, very nightmarish. You know, lots of 2 a.m. phone calls and, you know, just, it was just a clusterfuck for a year or two years. And there were many times where I thought about quitting. And there were so many times where I was asked so much and I had to miss things. Uh, luckily, all this was before I had, uh, before I had a kid. And the, the, um, the disparity, the inequality of how much companies ask for you versus now we see all the, you know, the weird spasmodic layoffs we've had uh, in 2023 where there appears to be no reason for them. It's, I think, this these like venture capital and hedge fund people want these tech companies to be smaller. So they all lay off 7% of the workforce. <laughs> and it's like, there's no, they all have plenty of money. They got cash on the books. They just lay people off. You know, your your job, no matter how good it is, how well it pays, how well they treat you, your job doesn't love you. And your job doesn't remember things. Your job is not a person. And so you make these sacrifices. You work on the weekends. You miss birthday parties. You miss events f- for this job. The job doesn't remember any of those things. And then if some fucking asshole decides that they need fewer people and you just happen to be on that list, you get fired. Because someone thinks they need fewer people. Therefore, your life is upended. It's just um, the, the, the idea that your job is the first thing. It's the primary thing, the, the, the focus of your life. Um, I, I, no longer, no more. <laughs> you know, um, and I don't, I don't know an actionable thing there. I don't know what to do other than uh, saying no to your job (laughs) more often. When they ask you to make these giant sacrifices, I think it's entirely appropriate to say no. I've told the story of the one that I refused to do, you know, two jobs ago. Not not at this one, not at the previous one, but two jobs ago, they asked a giant sacrifice. And I said, no, because you don't remember the last sacrifice I made. And I've made, this is not the first time you've asked this. And I don't care. I don't, I'm not doing it anymore. Which was, by the way, extremely unpopular. <laughs> Did not make anything about the the future days at that job better. It made them way worse. But uh, you know, I got what I wanted, and you know, it's not you'll you'll not be popular at your work if you say this. It's like no, I, I you know. By the way, it's also if you're two paychecks from um, is a it's a reason to not be two paychecks from homeless because. You know, when you're that close to it, you got no savings and no cushion and no nothing. Uh, you, you can't. Uh, you have to kowtow because if you get fired, you're fucked. So maybe what you need to do, um, a, 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 it's an important thing to um, under consume, particularly when you're young. Build up that cushion as young as you can, because if you've got six months of bills uh, in the bank in an emergency fund, you can take risks. You can tell your job no, and if they fire you, you've got uh, you're not immediately ruined. Uh, So that you know, buy yourself buy yourself flexibility. I am instead of traveling to Europe, buy your life flexibility. I think it will pay off, and then later you can go to Europe. But if you don't have that emergency fund, don't go to Europe. Don't go to you know, don't go to Australia. Get the emergency fund. I think that's more important. Get yourself six months together. 
Like scrimp and save for that before you scrimp and save for a thing, a new car, a new whatever. Because buying your life the freedom to not worry, oh my God, <laughs> that that pays off some compound interest for the rest of your days. And so, you know, I am at that point, where, you know, as much as I like this job, if they ask me to do something that I straight up don't want to do, I it's impossible to do that because like, uh, no, that's not going to happen. And then, you know, do what you got to do, but I ain't doing that. <laughs> so if you got to fire me, let's fire me and let's be done with it. Right. Uh, so that's kind of a nice, uh, a nice way to be, you know, maybe not for the job, but it is for me. And, uh, you know, it's not, I, I think all Americans lives would be better if we shifted the equilibrium away from the job and towards the people. We're kind of seeing this. We saw this some uh, in the, you know, the post, um, post-pandemic post um, labor shortages that that um, you get a better deal. <laughs> you get higher pay, you get better stuff because they can't hire somebody if, if you're not offering just a competitive life, basically. Not just competitive stuff, but competitive, competitive life experience. I love how conservatives... Uh, you know, talking went from nobody wants to work to laying people off. And also nobody wants to work. Uh, look, we can't hire anybody. Nobody wants to work. Oh, we're not counting the million people that died. <laughs> we're not. No, it's, it's, that's not the factor. It's not that, you know, a million members of the workforce are now dead. It's that, uh, you know, people are assholes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What is wrong with you people? And now it's time for something we call the reading of the patrons. The following people went to bit.ly, bit.ly slash EGC Patreon, and they pledged to support to keep the shambling mess shambling. Thank you to the following people. Derek Coward, Adam Rittenauer, Ken Kennedy, Paul Fisher, R. Hooley, Robert Harvey, Paul Smith, Andrew Heron, Grant Bachoco, Tony Ewing, Craig Stepp, Paul Reynolds, Shannon Nelson, Charlotte Kennedy, Leah, the Enigmagic Angela Lee, Chuck Tomasi, Stuart Maxwell, Michael Butler, Bruce Lerner, Skeeter Murphy, Robert Gibson, Lynn Edgerly, Melissa A. Bartell, Andrew Howe, Michael Street, Neil Forker, Dyko, Brian Springer, Rob Usden, John Gehring, Wayne Pittenger, Brian Jones, Joe Pollock, Jeff Dangle, J.P. Shippard, Steve Holden, Brian Hogan, and Matt Beckwith. Thank you, one and all, for supporting The Shambling Mess. And now, let us kill the music. Oh, and also, let me acknowledge patrons in exile, Nutty Nukchas and Eric Peterson. Nutty Nukchas did a kind uh, donation to the Drag Story Hour in the name of the Evil Genius Chronicles, and I really, really appreciate that. Uh, in the old radio days, it's what we call the make good. <laughs> It's one thing for another thing, because uh, the other thing ain't working. So there you go. I thank you, and I appreciate you, and uh, I appreciate your time. For those of you who throw stuff this way, if you support the sponsor, if you do whatever, I anything, your time is enough. The other stuff is, uh, as they said in Lafayette, a lanyap. All right. Thank you for listening. Show notes, as always, evilgeniuschronicles.org. You can reach out to me, Dave, at evilgeniuschronicles.org. Dot org. Um, is there anything else? No, I maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever, man. I can't tell you how to live your life. Uh, uh, just don't forget as you go out into the cold, cruel world. 
that's hot as balls here in South Carolina, that I love you. Goodbye. And uh, I will touch on this later. Uh, that song is uh, really speaking to me. Boy, we don't want to arrive our, our... When the thing ended, uh, this golf cart full... Went and ate it. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's kind of like, you know, the, the thing where uh, you probably rode from a gas station in the back of their pocket. I've got a mic sound. I'm pretty sure I got. All right, friends, I'm going to tell you about something. Factormeals.com. So I've been talking about, you know, like the fun stuff of the fummer. So I've been talking about the fun in general. Like, uh, the, the weird spasmatic, fuck me. I don't want all that stuff because I got to replay this. Fuck me. I got to do it drier. Shit. I got to do the whole fucking thing over. When that's over, if we're still alive, I'll clean my own fucking mess up.